Come join the conversation, the show that you've been wanting. Keep it real with no filter. Weekly we share discussions. WWSD interviewing creative guests, talking the creative process and sharing all the influences from TV and film. Emmy nominated and winning. Yeah, they coming through. Actors and comedians too. Directors and writers, we're more than a few. Masters of their craft. Yes, tune in. You gotta see this the podcast that you need. WWSD. Welcome to the WWSD Podcast. Weekly, we share discussions with interesting and creative people. I'm your host, Josh. As always, I'm joining my buddy and co-host, Seamus. Seamus, how are you doing? I'm doing great, man. How are you? I'm doing well. That's great to hear. Who do we have on tonight? Tonight, we have a very, very special guest. We are joined from the very, very far land of Columbus, Ohio, with stand-up comedian Simon Fraser. Simon, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast this evening. How are you doing, man? I'm great. So obviously, listeners listening in, you can tell he does not have a Columbus, Ohio accent. Simon, where are you originally from? Yes, my Toledo twang. That's what I think. <laughs> the, uh, I'm originally from London, England. I now live in Columbus, Ohio, which I hold to be the best city in America. You haven't got around much? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you like about it? I've, I've, been, to ev- I've been to pretty much every city uh, in America besides St. Louis. Thank God. It, Columbus is great. You know, I don't know if you like, a, we've got everything. We don't have a lot of it, but we've got everything. If you like Thai food, we have like one Thai restaurant. If you like Filipino food, we got one Filipino restaurant. We got good bars, cheap food, cheap bars. There's not much besides the food in the bars, but you know, the food in the bars, it, it's, it's good stuff. Sounds a lot like Southwest Florida. Yeah. Is that where you guys are from? Yeah. Where is that relative to Orlando? We're about two hours from Tampa and Tampa is like two hours from Orlando. Got it. All right. Closer yeah. to Fort Myers. Is that? That's that's, 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 that's where we are. We're in Fort Myers. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> have you been to Fort Myers? I have uh, I have not been to Fort Myers. So I, okay. I take back my previous statement about being to every city. But I've I've heard I've been to Tampa and St. Pete. And if it's anything like that, it's got to be a hell of a place. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's definitely uh, much, much less fun than uh, Tampa and St. Pete. But so you're originally from London, England. Why like Columbus, Ohio? Like, how'd you get over here? I am from London, grew up there my whole life until I was 18, then went to college in the States in Connecticut. And then I graduated 2020 during the pandemic. And I, w- I was going on a road trip over the pandemic uh, as a responsible citizen does, you know, just spreading the virus as, you know, as was necessary. But I tested, I tested negative the whole way through. And I was visiting every place named London in America because <laughs> I had lost my passport. So I couldn't go back home. Sounds like a lot of places in the South, right? Yeah. There's, you know, you got London, Tennessee, which is actually Del Rio, Tennessee. The residents will tell you that. You got London, Alabama, I think. Or maybe it's New London. No, you do have London, Alabama, London, Texas. London, Arkansas is a great one. They got some good barbecue down there. Uh, London, Ohio. And anyway, so I was visiting London, Ohio. And I stopped by Columbus for a night uh, before going into this, you know, shanty town of London, Ohio, which has a great middle school. Though that sounds a bit creepy. Yeah. What caught your eye about that uh, middle school? You know, just it was it, they were so hot. No. <laughs> <laughs> lack lack of security, uh, available drugs. Well, that, OK, so this is this is a side note. But I was when I was so when I was coming through Ohio to get to London, I stopped by in Akron to see LeBron James's or his old St. Vincent St. Mary's school. And I just mm-hmm. walked in and like there was security, but they didn't really 
check me. I think they just assumed like I was one of the 12 year old lesbians who had been there. And so like, I like showed up and I was walking through and I was like taking pictures of everything until eventually like a security guard was like, Hey, who are you? And I was like, ah, I'm, I'm just a 23 year old Englishman. I, he, he asked me to leave and I obliged. Anyway, that's a tangent, but I was in London, Ohio and the middle school. Terrific. You have to see it if you're allowed to. I'm not allowed to. Yeah, gonna say you've you've been up to some some antics in in the rural uh, the rural Ohio plain. The anyway, sorry, I'm getting distracted from the story about Columbus. Uh, and so I stopped by in Columbus the night before going to London, and I I'm on the street and I just bump into three guys who I went to college with who were like three years above me, and I'm like, what are you guys doing? Because I went to college in Connecticut, and. That I'm like, what are you guys doing here? It's surprising to see you in Columbus, Ohio. And they're like, we moved here for quarantine. And I'm like, cool, let's get a drink. So we get a drink. The bartender and I are kind of vibing. I leave my number because I'm like, I'm in Columbus, Ohio for one night for the rest of my life. And I've never left my number for anyone before, not even at the scene of a crime. So then she texts back and I'm like, this is amazing. So I've got friends, I got a girl. And then the person I was staying with, his mom was like, stay as long as you like. So I had a place to stay. So I just moved in. That's, that was like two years ago. And it's been a hell of a time since. Uh, <laughs> and, and the girl and I are no longer together. The friends have all left. I'm no longer living with that person, but it's still a great city. You're not staying with the mom anymore? I, you know, I just didn't I, work out with her. I just wish. I just wish. <laughs> she continues to be a foxy mama. I really hope she doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> I especially hope her, her, her wonderful husband doesn't listen to this as well, because that, that, they're all I have left. <laughs> so where, where did uh, where did you get started doing comedy? I started. I did my first open mic when I was nineteen in New York City, just while I was uh, working there for a summer, and kind of ate it on stage <laughs> aggressively in front of my dad and my stepbrother and. Uh, his uh, you invited girl. your family. <laughs> oh, well, I, I didn't invite them, but they somehow found the address. Uh, okay. They were big badslava.com fans. And they showed up and I did terribly. I only found out I was going on stage like a day before because there was this other person who did stand up in my office. And she was like, do you want to come? And I was like, yeah, I'll go see you perform. And then it turned out that she meant she wanted me to perform. So I ate it. Then I did another open mic like two or three months later, ate it again, did another open mic like two months later, ate it again. And then on the fourth try, I think I got one chuckle and I was like, this is for me. And then I just kind of plowed on from there. But that's how I got my start, just open mic. So you went to a school in Connecticut. I believe it was Yale, right? Yeah, that's right. You you said it, not me. I'm, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> you trying try to avoid that? Yeah, I'm just... Uh, Yale's not funny. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I didn't think it was funny. And then I kind of, especially being, in, being out in the Midwest and like outside of, I would say, the coast, there is an interesting fascination with that with that like kind of life that I think a lot of people find interesting. Whenever I do shows in like New York or LA, I never talk about it because people are just like, who who cares? But if I'm in like Columbus, people eat that shit up. People are like, oh my God, this guy's a genius. And I'm like, <laughs> I studied history and submitted the same final paper for five different classes. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not. Was that your uh, major though? You're going to Yale for history? Yeah, I went to Yale for history to become, and then I became a stand-up comedian to become the least employable Yale graduate of all time. You actually graduated though from Yale? I did. I got my, I've got my graduation actually coming up 
it, our delayed graduation of two years coming up this weekend. So don't go to the library if you're trying to read, if you know what I mean. I don't know if that's a thing, but yeah, people have sex in the library. So oh, yeah, that's, uh, that's fun. <laughs> yeah, isn't that isn't that such a cool quirk about this fun institution? People used to get sexually uh, abused in my uh, library where I went to school. So. Where did you where, did you go to Harvard? <laughs> I went to Florida State. Got it. <laughs> Is that is that Marcus Mariota's home? No, he's a Hawaii dude. Yeah, uh, it's a Bert Kre- That's Bert Kreischer's school. Got it. That's who I was thinking yeah. of. <laughs> yeah, the, the Rolling Stone article that cemented him as a legend. Yeah. Were you doing uh, stand up while you're at Yale? I'm assuming so, since you graduated. Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, my freshman year, I kind of tried out for every single extracurricular activity that Yale had to offer because that's how they like market themselves as an institution. They're like, you can be anyone. But it turns <laughs> out like you have to like, audi- you can't just join these extracurricular activities. You have to like audition and try out. I mean, for everything from like the soccer team to the sketch comedy team to like the black men's union. And I didn't get into any of those. (laughs) And but the main thing was I got rejected from sketch comedy. I got rejected from improv comedy. Then going into my sophomore year, I was I got rejected from 27 extracurricular activities my freshman year. It was a brutal pill to swallow. But my sophomore year, I found out if you just list in order, all the extracurriculars you've been rejected from, the next extracurricular will take pity on you and accept you. So I just listed every extracurricular I applied for and got rejected from to the stand-up comedy group at Yale. And they let me in because they were like, God, we feel bad for this Bruno Mars chinwagger. So I joined that. And from there, I kind of just started doing it. You know, my sophomore summer, I kind of realized like, this is what I want to do. So I was working on a tea plantation in Sri Lanka. And I was like, I quit the tea plantation after two days, you know, because we were eight hours away from like any city and there was a lizard in my bed. So I, I called the guy up, the guy who ran the tea plantation. And I was like, I'm leaving to do stand up comedy. And he's like, well, do you, why don't you just do stand up comedy for the Sri Lankans? And I was like, I'm an open mic in New York. I don't think I'm going to kill an Srijaya <laughs> Ward in Apure, which is one of the cities, I think, in Sri Lanka. Anyway, so then I just did some open mics around the I took some greyhounds and some mega buses around the US just doing open mics and went from New York down to like Birmingham, Alabama to like Austin and New Orleans, not in that order. And then like Vegas and LA kind of did that trip. Ended up doing the Edinburgh Fringe Festival that summer for doing like 45 minutes every night, which was an insane thing to do for someone who had not quite done well at a single open mic yet. But it was a fun experience, kind of accelerated my journey. And then at Yale, I continued. I just kind of did a bunch of shows in my basement. We had a big basement. So I did shows for like 100 people. I would do an hour like every two or three months. And that's kind of how I got my start. I like didn't go through the clubs at all. Just kind of like did it very poorly and randomly in my basement. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's take it to this basement thing. This is pretty gnarly. Uh, how did you get 100 people in your basement first? Well, that's a that's pretty pretty massive basement, right? Big basement, baby. We it was like a ten-person house off campus. It, it wasn't it, it wasn't like a frat house, but it was it could have been if ten frat guys lived there. We just had a big basement, and me and my buddies we just took chairs from like the classroom and we wheeled them over, and then we put a hundred chairs down, and it was great. We handed out booze. It, it was a hell of a time. Did you charge for uh, entry? Uh, I think I like asked for like five bucks 
or something like that just to cover the booze. But I don't think anyone paid up. <laughs> you know, some, sometimes you got to be in the red to get in the green eventually. The uh, the Uber model or the Netflix model. I don't think either of those are working out right now. But yeah. <laughs> so, so you, you said you, do, you were doing an hour uh, in the basement. What, what, uh, what were you doing? Was it actually a stand-up act or was it like improv or sketch? Yeah, it was just stand-up. I would just like, I would just write a lot of material and try it out and see what worked. And, you know, it, it was one of those things where like everyone comes the first time and they're super supportive because it's college and like everyone's friends with everyone. So like a hundred people show out that afterwards, they're all like, Simon, that was so great. And then like, I do the next one a couple, like three months later and everyone, every single person comes up to me and they're like, Simon, that was so much better. <laughs> it's just like, okay, so, so the first one was absolutely shit and you just didn't feel rude enough to say that was kind of just what i did i just ran an hour which was an interesting experience to do were you doing mo- uh, open mics in between those hours as well no so so you're just you're just running an hour every three months just just raw dog in it just a new <laughs> hour just a new hour every three months <laughs> the main thing i would just like just test out bits with my friends and see what would stick I hadn't even gone to like an open mic consistently until I moved to Columbus like a year ago. It's kind of like I started doing an hour and then went to doing five minute open mic set. Was that hard? Converting your material to like five minutes? In one way, yes, because when you write the hour, you're kind of thinking of it as a structural whole. So you're like, oh, people will appreciate this 15 minute story about the one time I went on the swing as a child. That's not a story. (laughs) You know, that's not a story. They'd be like, oh, I'd, I'd be like, oh, they would appreciate that. And then you take that to the open mic. No, no one gives a shit. Yeah, it was a, it was a bit of a struggle. But at the same time, I was I was still running hours when I started going to the open mics. I've always thought of comedy, except for lately. But I had always thought of comedy for like my first four or five years as like an hour long project instead of like five minutes. Imagine the crowds that you had in your basement were a lot more supportive than, <laughs> than people at open mics, right? Yeah, pretty much. They were nice. You know, when you get a nice audience, you're like, I'm so good at this. And then you kind of <laughs> go to an open mic and you're like, oh, no, I just, my friends are liars. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, when you were traveling around the country uh, via the Greyhounds, were you still doing the, the hour comedies in, in the basement or did you kind of move away from that to do that? So I was kind of doing the Greyhounds right before I did Edinburgh. Okay. Got me started. But then when I graduated Yale and like started traveling around the country, visiting the different Londons, I would do shows because, and all the clubs were closed at the time. So I would just do shows in people's apartments, like an apartment like mine, just, I would travel with 20 fold up chairs in my car and like a microphone. And I would be like, Hey man, you want to throw a party? And I'll do like an hour of comedy beforehand. And people would surprisingly be down. So I kind of like wrote even more material during quarantine and just like got to test that out over. So like, how'd you find these people? Are you walking up to them on the street and finding them <laughs> in bars, that kind of thing? Craigslist ads? Yeah, exactly. Right? Just like most of it was kind of from college and just like okay. random connections just because people at Yale like tend to come from like everywhere across the country. So I just had a friend in Oklahoma City or a friend in LA or a friend in New Orleans or someone like that. So I just hit them up and be like, party? You know, people like it one time. <laughs> they don't want to come a second, time, but they like it one time. You've been doing it, uh, doing this uh, four years now. Uh, I think almost six years now. Six years, okay. Five, yeah, five to somewhere in the five. I think five somewhere around. There. Gotcha. It was a weird way to start doing comedy. Did you ever come like accustomed to doing like those weird shows and like it was just felt natural? Yeah, it was totally like I'm a big proponent of apartment shows, and I still like. Even in Columbus, I like throw, I throw like, I don't, you can't really see, but like, I now like host shows in my apartment where like people from the comedy cellar and Netflix 
have come through and just done like performed with me in the apartment for we can fit like 40 people in this apartment it's pretty surprisingly like capacious but yeah and so whenever i get on stage i'm really comfortable and know pretty much like how to do well but whenever i get like my friends to do it they're like i don't know how to play this crowd some of them do what some of them like figure it out but it's a bit foreign to others and just very familiar to me. Interesting. If you think about it, like the whole thing with comedy, especially starting out, you're just trying to build material. And the only way to do that is to get feedback and you can build it yourself. You don't need to rely on clubs and bookers to give you five minutes of a time at an open mic to get the same feedback you could get from 40 random people. And sure, those people might be a bit more supportive, but at the same time, you can kind of tell what works and what doesn't. It was kind of a way to game the system while just trying to get better as a stand-up in the face of COVID, especially when there was nothing happening. And would you bring uh, other comedians with you to do these type of shows or was it just a one-man show? I would always like, if I travel to a new city and even now when I travel to a new city, I'll just like organize a show in Philly, for example. And then I'll hit up a buddy of mine who, a New York comedian, and I'll be like, hey, do you know any Philly comedians? And he'll be like, yeah, hit up these people. And then I just hit like up, two people. I'm like, Hey, do you want to open and do 10 minutes to open my show at this random apartment or fraternity or something like that? And obviously they're down because pretty much every comic just wants to perform and is down for a fun gig. And I like, I'll pay them like 50 bucks or something. So they're like, that's, you know, more than they get paid for a year. So then like, yeah, so I just like make connections in these different cities and I don't travel with anyone, but yeah, I just meet comics in different cities. So it's a great way of doing comedy, honestly. I, I'm a big proponent. It's it's, it's very unique and all. I've yeah. never heard that. Yeah. <laughs> I like that you're taking a taking charge of your situation. It's cool. Yeah. I, it, it reminds me of like, like hearing about Dave Chappelle doing like park comedy, just comedy in the park and that kind of thing. Well, you, even like musicians and all, it kind of reminds me of like musicians like playing like house shows and stuff like that. Yeah. That's it. You just got to get the reps. Get the reps and build the base. Yeah, no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Sorry, I'm just always on. Always on. <laughs> did, you, did you have a lot of did you have a lot of stage fright you had to get over when you started? Uh not really. Like just a, I think I was like, I didn't have a great state. I didn't like have a great stage presence the first time I got up, just because it was my first time up. But I had done a bit of like random public speaking here and there. Now it's obviously like second nature, but I do like randomly, like very, like unexpectedly get like very nervous, like oh, once, yeah. once every like a hundred shows. And it's a weird experience when that happens. It's, it's, it's not really related to anything. It just kind of happens every once in a while. Yeah. It's so random. It's so random. Interesting. Yeah. It's happened three times. And I think just one time it was like an open mic in Cincinnati and I had a panic attack on stage and it was great because well, no one in the audience knew. And I was honestly like doing really well. So they were just like, this is his act. He's just like a really fucking weird Jew. But then, <laughs> but then like the, I, the other comics who like knew my stuff were like, what the hell is going on with Simon? And I got off stage after my five minutes to thunderous applause, of course. And I had to like kind of cool myself down. But that was definitely like the scariest moment I had had in comedy. And it was super weird and I don't know. It was very random. <laughs> maybe it's maybe it will happen again. When you're uh, when you're learning a new skill, like often often when you first start, you're like it's not even really clear how to make progress because like you're so new and like you don't you don't really understand like the inner workings and the the parts that put it together. What, did did it take you a long time to to figure that out with comedy, or is, this, is that is that something that kind of came natural where you could kind of see like the the moving parts and and progress in that way? That's a really interesting question. I uh, I'd also be curious 
to hear like how you guys feel about whether there's like anything you guys like music or anything like how you guys feel about that. For me, at least, I think there's a big difference between thinking about like progressing in the moment and progressing in hindsight. I think in the moment, especially comedians, and you see it all the time with like new comedians who have done like one open mic and they're like, I'm a comedian now. It's in my bio. Like, I'm <laughs> great. Like, how do I get on stage at the Apollo? You know, oh, the comedy seller, I'm going to be, you know, and all their friends are bigging them up. They're like, you're going to be there in like two days. It's like, it's, it's crazy. But so when you're like starting out, you, you always think you're better than you are. If you get like one laugh at an open mic, you're like, I'm great. And, but now obviously in hindsight, you look back at your early performances and you're like, this is shit. <laughs> yeah. Like absolutely terrible. And you kind of have to, it's kind of, it's a good lesson though, to kind of remind yourself now I like do well on stage, but I know in a few years and five years from now, I'm going to look back and be like, this was shit. I can't believe you thought you were doing well. And I know like five years from then I'm going to be like, that was shit as well. Why do you think you were doing well? And so it's a good way of just like telling yourself to stay humble and that you're not, that you're not ready, that you just have to keep on working. And there may be no direct path to achieve that, but you just kind of have to tell yourself, hey, you're not as good as you think you are right now. I'm curious what how you guys feel about that question. Yeah, I think uh, I think the it's what uh, sucking at something's the first step of getting good at something. I mean, you kind of have to like not necessarily bomb, but usually it's like to, to, to get better, you do have to have some level of failure. I mean, that's the only way to really progress. Really the Dunning Kruger effect. No. It's basically this this uh this phenomenon you're talking about where you know, like, like when, when you, when you first start out with something, your, your awareness of the, of the full subject of the like discipline or craft or whatever, it's so it's small enough that you can feel extremely competent because of you're pretty competent in the space that you're aware of. But as, as, as you, uh, as you interact with it, like your skill in it, like grows, but your awareness of, of what's possible also grows. And so eventually you start, you start feeling more and more hopeless that you'll ever be good at something. Because it's like, like, uh, there, there's kind of this inverse relationship with competence and um, confidence in, um, and that, that you're an expert and how much you actually know. I think that's super accurate. I know, I know there are stories told of like Dave Attell at the Comedy Cellar, like crushing for an hour straight, like making people like roll in laughter. And then he'll come off stage and be like, that was a terrible set. Right. He's, he sees stuff that like I or you or anyone else can't see. Well, it's like you said the panic attack and all like you're, you you killed and all, but like, or, like you knew you were having a panic attack the entire time mm-hmm. and all. So yeah. it's that perspective. I mean, we, we don't know why that was though. <laughs> yeah. I just been, I'm a weird dude. <laughs> but I do agree with that. I, I Maybe I was, sorry, I'm going to get technical with your definition. When you say like the, your conclusion is like you get hopeless about it, like that you'll ever be good at it. I think there's maybe a positive way to look at it. It's just to see like, you're hopeful that you can always keep on growing. Yeah, staying hungry. That was a that was a that was my bad attempt at a joke. She yeah. suffers from depression, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is the upside for for something that you love. That's um, there's always room to grow. Like not just comedy, but like like really anything in in the arts. Probably really anything in in life. You can always there's always another step to go, another another level to go, like deeper to go. Yeah, comedy, porn, any. Yeah, absolutely. Mental illness. <laughs> It's always another level of crazy too. I always yeah. go deeper. <laughs> I always go deeper. And that's usually how you kind of find the greats of like any anything, not just comedy, but like there's the guys that are like continue to like grow and look for ways to improve. They don't ever get to it like, oh, I'm good. Like this is I don't have to work any harder anymore. Constantly like growing and, and advancing and all. Yeah, there's no real way to define success in comedy. It's not like you can say he won the World Cup. Like it, there's no meritocratic way to solve it yeah last comic standing was canceled yeah exactly <laughs> and that's a total sham whatever right. <laughs> whoever won that was a was a total scrub <laughs> uh, jim Bob. 
but it's not just comedy. Like mo- most creative endeavors don't really have like a ceiling. There's no like award. I mean, I guess like winning an Emmy or an Oscar or something like that is, is kind of definitive, but like there's, there's not really like for like artists, like painters and, and writers. I mean, I guess you can win like awards and shit, but like is, there's no, there's no awards in comedy. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, not they, really. I mean, you get your specials and you can win a Grammy, but I think they, you know, I think people just see Dave Chappelle's name and they like just, the voters vote for that. So I think the main thing is, and even when you like do achieve something like that, there was this interesting article in the Atlantic about Olympians, how the gold medal winners oftentimes suffer from equal, if not more depression than the losers, just because you've achieved this thing that you set out to achieve. And then it's like, what now? Like your brain is always focused on the next thing. You think you're chasing success and really you just have to appreciate the journey that you're on. I think like that's the way I try to look at it. And I also am aware that I'm a a five-year comic saying these truths. (laughs) (laughs) That's why having having some kind of craft, I think is important for that. Cause like there's always another step to go for Like it, it, cause like you said, it's it's like always, always like going for accolades. It's not give you um, satisfaction, but being focused in the moment on something that you're continually making progress on is there's a lot of satisfaction in that. Cause we do see like a lot of like comedians that they're kind of like those bar comedians, like forever. Like they'll be like like twenty years in, like they've only like done like bar shows or like they're like some like some road work, but they're kind of just not content, but like they're just kind of like stuck in the same spot. Sometimes when you appreciate the journey, you 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 might want to see a bit more success. <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah, sometimes appreciating the journey is having a drug problem. <laughs> yeah, or it's or it's just listening to don't stop believing a few times. Right. Having a good time. <laughs> Thanks for laughing at that bad joke, but it's all right. That's what we're here for. It was very real. It's like, you know, if you go got the bar, there's somebody singing that with karaoke all the time. And if you're lucky, it sounds okay. So you're doing these apartment shows. You're getting an hour on stage. Are you still doing club shows? Are you still trying to like go like do that circuit or you kind of just content doing the apartment shows? No, no, no. I'm definitely trying to get on the circuit. If anything, like I, so I moved to Columbus after finishing all the Londons in March of 2021. The final one was London, Missouri, actually, which uh, when I when I did completed my eight hour drive to arrive there, I knocked on this quilt uh, lady's house. She sells quilts. And I was like, excuse me, is this London, Missouri? And she said it was, but we just renamed it to Tokyo, Missouri. <laughs> that was a fun little tidbit. <laughs> the, uh, but anyway, so I pulled in, I came to Columbus in like March and then I just like did open mics for five months or so within like two months or so booked out a nightclub and like sold out a nightclub two months in a row, just doing like a solo show. Don't know where all these people in Columbus came from, but you come in with an accent and people are like, we'll hear you do stand up. But then I had this conversation, which was pretty interesting with this comic from Dayton, Ohio, who's super young. I think he's like 20 years old, but his name's Jarrell Beeman and super funny, you know, been spotted by like the creator of Def Jam, who's been like, he's the next Dave Chappelle. And I had him on my show and he was just like, yeah, man, if I had like the ability to travel, I would be traveling all the time. I just can't because of like, I'm 20 and like financial constraints. And lucky for me, I wasn't too pressed by finance. So I was like, oh shit, probably be doing a bit more than I am doing right now in terms of traveling. So I just was like, fuck it, I'm going to set out and travel and hit up all these bookers around different cities and see what work I can get. And pretty much since September of 2021 until now, I've kind of just been on that route, like just going to random cities, seeing what open mics I could get on in those cities, then coming back to those cities, being like, hey, could I do a book show? Then being like, hey, can I do your club? 
And the big thing was in December of last year, Jason Bank, who I don't know if you've heard of, but is a very popular and very funny TikTok comedian. And I say that not scornfully. He just blew up on TikTok <laughs> for his skits and his standup is actually very good. It's like, if you want to come on the road with me, I see you traveling to all these cities, but you don't have an agent. So like, how are you getting all these gigs? And I'm just like, I'm just DMing people to try and find a gig here and a gig there. And he's like, well, if you're ever in the same city as me, you can open for me. He was doing all the major headlining clubs across the country because of his TikTok following. And I was like, oh, well, where are you going to be like next weekend? And he's like, I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina. And I'm like, that's so random. I'm going to be in Raleigh, North Carolina. And so like, I completely just planned my schedule around his dates. And so now I get to open for Jason on the road a lot, which gets me eyes with different clubs. It's just exactly what someone in my like years of experience would want to be doing at this stage. And so it's, it's awesome. And this is a fun story. One time in Syracuse, New York, this was January of 2022. Syracuse, New York in January, I don't know if you've heard, is not the best place to visit. We have shows Saturday and Sunday. Saturday, I drive up from Columbus, like a seven hour drive, but it's an absolute blizzard. And so it takes like 10 hours. Jason and his feature act are flying. They were meant to fly at like 8 a.m., but their flight kept on getting delayed because of the weather. And then five minutes before the first show is meant to start, Jason like texts me. He's like, yo, my plane just got diverted to Detroit. So I'm going to miss the show. So I like tell the general manager of this, you know, the Syracuse Funny Bone, which is like a 300 person club, 7.30 Friday, like highlight show. I'm like, yeah, Jason's not going to be there. And he's like, well, how much time can you do? You're just a host. And I was like, oh, baby, I've been doing apartment shows to prepare this very moment right here. And so I went out and did the whole show by myself. And I like absolutely could not have done that if I hadn't done all these apartment shows and, you know, put in the work myself to build up that time. So I think it's just, a, it's always good to be prepared. How did that, how, how did that show go? Like, did you, uh, did you do all right or you hold your own? Yeah, I did well. You know, the, uh, no one, no one left, which was kind of the big thing. You know, Jason is like 39 year old, you know, very lanky, tall, black American man, uh, like who in, talks about his kids. And then five minutes before the show, they're told like this 23 year old British cuck is about to come on stage. <laughs> and so everyone, so I spent like the first 20 minutes being like, I'm so sorry I'm here. Eventually, I think I won them over and a lot of them came back the next day to see Jason, but I think they had a good time on Friday as well. So it's just the benefit of being prepared. Yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, a lot, a lot of comedians, they, they rarely would have like an hour like at least that with only being a few years in i mean like getting to an hour of sort of material that's really impressive yeah every every comedian can stand on stage for an hour an hour and a half but to do well takes a bit of preparation and not do like an hour of crowd work yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> and i suck yeah. at crowd work so i was like i was like oh it would be so easy if i just did crowd work then i was like oh, i'm terrified of that so i just did only material and so actually building like your, your actual set, how do you kind of condense your, your hour apartment shows into like five to 15 minutes worth of material? I kind of do. I write them kind of separately. Okay. I'm making it sound like I have 25 hours. I have like two, two, two big hours of material that I've like. That's still impressive. Like it is very impressive. But one, one is like kind of, it's very much like a, a narrative based story of like with a explicit moral and an explicit structure and all of that. And the other one is more just jokes with no real narrative. And so when I'm writing just like five minute sets and stuff, I'm always thinking about that second hour, just like, how can I make people laugh for 60 minutes? How can I tell 240 jokes? Or how can I make people laugh 240 times in 60 minutes? And that's my entire focus. And how can I make that in my voice, make that be in my voice and not like 
anyone can write jokes, but you have to figure out like your voice, your unique voice, which makes you interesting. And then the other hours I've like written it and I'm performing. If I ever blow up like Jason and get to perform in comedy clubs, it's very much just less thinking about it in the hour now and more thinking about what's a fun, what's a funny one minute joke. What's a joke about edging that I can come up with or something like that, which is a great joke, by the way, but I'm not going <laughs> to tell. Yeah, I, I do like your uh, white guys freestyling. That's really funny. Oh, yeah. Instagram. <laughs> yeah. It's hysterical. So uh, you, you did mention when you're in college, though, the extracurricular you got involved in was the stand up club. Now, mm-hmm. did you guys have an actual like comedian like teaching you guys or like mentoring or workshopping with you? Like, how was that? It was a total sham. Like I like I was I, you know, I went to meetings, but like put on like two or three shows a year where we each did five minutes total bullshit and we just like met up and we were all like this is how i think your joke should go and like all of us were had were college stand-up comedians like (laughs) just an oxymoron and it was absolutely terrible we had some great comedians come out of the group some very funny like brooklyn comics who are now doing very well on twitter and on stage i very much did most of my stand-up learning by myself rather than with the group and, and like how did you actually learn about like joke structure and like timing and like all the, the the finer details of comedy uh it's a good question i don't know i watch a bunch of stand-up comedy so you you kind of just intuit it over time and like different comedians have different structures but basic thing is it's actually a very good question because like so I think the first three years, I thought I really knew how to write a joke and I had absolutely no clue. This dog shit, yeah. Yeah, I was like, oh, this is hilarious. And my friends would be like, you've just said slurs. <laughs> that's, not, <laughs> that's not a, that's not a, that's not a funny at all. <laughs> but the, but now I think it's like, you kind of watch comedians, you learn from them, especially like there are some very talented, like joke writers themselves. I think like Mark Norman, for example, is someone who, if you just want to learn how to write a joke, it's pretty easy to copy him. You just want to make sure that you don't take his style and cadence. (laughs) Captain Queef. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Right. But I think that's someone I look to when I was like, how do I like structure a joke? And so I think you'll notice in my work, and I'm sure a bunch of other people's like the same structure, which is introduce the premise, play out a scenario use three examples and then like have a twist at the end for a punchline or something like that. Like that's one way to write a joke. And the rest was also just like, th- if you just write a lot, eventually you'll like come up with weird tangent and those throwaway jokes can be jokes, you know, similes and metaphor. It's pretty much writing jokes is the same as just English class. You just want to make stuff sound interesting and you just use techniques, literary techniques. Do you have a structured uh, routine that you do for your writing and everything? No, I, uh, my main structure is I get, <laughs> I get very drunk and then I'll have like, and, and not, this isn't intentional, but I'll just get very drunk. And then like, I'll have like a funny thought or I'll be like, that is hysterical. And I'll tell my friend who I'm drinking with, I'm like, this is going to be the greatest joke of all time. And then like, I'll pull up my notes like the next day to see if it was funny. And then I'm just going to pull up one right now. It will be like something like some girls on dating apps don't look fat. They just look full. And that's, it doesn't mean anything, but you know, maybe it could have been funny, but that one wasn't funny, but it's true. So like, that's literally truly how I get most of my ideas. Truly just like have a thought, write it down in my notes and then come back to it. When you come back, do you do any like, like free writing or anything? Like when you're actually writing out? Yeah. Sometimes I'll just, 
a, a lot of the material I got was kind of over quarantine. I just kind of took advantage of that time. Everyone was like, this is when Shakespeare wrote King Lear. I was like, all right, I'm going to write how I lost my virginity to a prostitute, <laughs> like something <laughs> like that. I just kind of like sat down and wrote so much material then. Like that was kind of my period when I just like free wrote the stream of consciousness stuff and saw what stuck. And I still go back to that material and see what I can get out of that and see if I can write more structured jokes. I guess. Yeah. You're not really doing that anymore than kind of still parsing through everything you did over the pandemic. That's one example. I have new thoughts every day, but it's really just thoughts, which is lame. Like it's, it's just like, truly I'll just like have funny ideas and I'll write them down on my notes and then I'll see if I can think about like, okay, this is the premise. This is my evidence, the way I think it is. And here's my analysis. Point evidence analysis is how I was taught in high school. So when you're writing a paragraph, you look, make your point, show the evidence for your claim, and then analyze. Hey, have you noticed how people with Down syndrome always have a smoking hot sibling? Point. Evidence, you know, look at this person. Analysis. I told this to a girl and yeah, she was like, that's disgusting. My brother has Down syndrome. And I was like, you must have a second sibling. And so like, there, there we go, like in terms of the basic structure of how I would write a joke. But at the same time, I don't believe many of my jokes are that funny. So I wouldn't try, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trust anything I'd say. <laughs> so how do your parents like take the whole uh, comedy thing? I mean, they obviously you went to Yale, uh, a very prestigious school in the States. And now you're in Columbus, Ohio, telling jokes. They are so disappointed. They have cut me out of any wills, any goodwills. They're sending me to goodwill. I don't know. Like, it's just like they could not. <laughs> I think now they're like kind of now that I'm getting work and like paying my rent and like making money off comedy, they understand. But holy shit, for those first four years, especially coming out of Yale, when I was like, I want to be a stand up comedian. And they were like, that's cool. That's not happening, but that's a cool dream. That's a like nice passion of yours. And I kind of just like stuck it out and I was like, nah, I'm going to do it. I was like, I got, I got enough cash to sustain myself. So it's not like you guys like have any like say, uh, so I'm just going to like go for it. The deal I made with my dad was if I'm not paying my bills by the time I turn 25, I will stop doing stand up and apply for law school. Thankfully just paid my bills. So <laughs> no, no law school. What did you want to do when you started college before you tried stand up? I think I wanted to do a whole bunch of things. I didn't really like have any idea of what I wanted to do. I just knew I wanted to try like a bunch of new things. And then I tried out for every extracurricular and they were like, nah, you, you can't do this. You can't do this and you can't do this and you can't do this. And you can't do that. So I was like, okay, well, I better, you know, I'm tired of relying on other people to like make my living or like to say what I can do. So I just want to do something that I'm in full control of. I had no clue what I wanted to do. I think journalist, maybe I've always enjoy, enjoyed a bit of journalism. Yeah, I had absolutely zero clue. This is kind of a tangent, but kind of related. When were you guys like, we got to do a podcast? Or what was the motivation behind you guys? It was it was like kind of to hang out during the pandemic, honestly. Yeah. And we, yeah. Gave, we, we, we kind of lucked into being able to get some pretty high profile guests. And then we just kind of kept going with that. Been pretty uh pretty cool. It's been going yeah. pretty well. How did you find, you know, like getting whoever the first big name was that you got? How did that come about? And did that feel like you guys did that accelerate your progress as a podcast? 
Yeah. So our, our podcast like started out like just us hanging out. Like we're just uh, one of our buddies was with us at this time. And we're just shooting the shit and we're just hitting the record button and see what like in this posting on the Internet. And then I, I met a, a guy on the Internet that was looking for people uh, to interview for his website because he runs like an online Comic Con type website, Collector's Maze. So they do like a virtual comic con. So they need people to like interview people that are like directors, writers, artists, stuff like that. And I'm like, yeah, let's see what happens. And so they hooked us up with a, a pretty, pretty awesome director, uh, Mike Diza. His biggest things were he, he was an animator for Disney for like 20 years. Like he did like all the Disney movies. Uh, but then he also uh, directed the Dead Space movie and Dante's Inferno. Plus all this other like gnarly shit. And wow. we kind of just got the bug, and like after that, like oh, let's keep doing this. Yeah, he he was he was really cool to talk to. So it was it was cool talking to somebody who had like kind of mastered their craft and had you know, accomplished a lot. And yeah, someone that learns from like Spielberg, like literally, he was a student of Spielberg, like learning from Spielberg on set how to direct movies. Like it's just like that's so fucking gnarly. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that was a. I got to listen to that conversation, but I'm sure that was amazing. That one's really rough to listen to. Listen to some of our newer ones. (laughs) (laughs) The audio is not great, but it's a, it's good content, I guess. But like, and that was the thing, like, so from there, like that was a stepping stone. And so like, once we got like that street cred, we got, we were able to like talk more and more people. Uh, And even like comedians, like we we just decided we wanted to start talking comedians and Sean Finney is like, I think the third comedian we talked to. Uh, and then like from there, like, oh, let's keep talking comedians. And it was just like, we kept doing that. And then it's just like a little bit of everything now. That's awesome. Yeah. I saw, uh, Christoph and, uh, Jake and all those, I know all those Orlando guys very randomly. <laughs> yeah. Like, how did you actually like meet those guys? I met Christoph in Nashville. I, we did Zanies, which is a comedy club in Nashville and we just hung out, kicked it. And then I was in Orlando. I was with Jason Banks in Fort Lauderdale. Mm-hmm. And drove up to do this Thursday show in Orlando. And then I just met all of them that night. And then I had Sean Finity actually come and do my show. Oh, really? Yeah, not in my apartment, but like in a sandwich shop, like a block away. And it was a, it was a jolly old time between uh, the Irish and the English. Who saw that one coming? <laughs> That's cool. That's awesome. I saw on your website, uh, you actually do book for like private shows. Like, do you get a lot of, uh, a lot of that? Yeah, I mean, it's just, I think I've had requests to do like private shows for people who I like don't know at all. The most of those requests are people who I think who like know me tangentially or like we know we met one time and they're like, oh, when you're in Chicago, come do a show. So I did like shows in people's apartments who I like, you know, had seen like 10 years ago or stuff like that. Or they're like, oh, we went to high school. Let's do a show in LA. Or I do like a bunch of fraternities. I'm really big on the frat scene. So yeah, it's it's more just like kind of random connections that I have, but it's just a good way to, I think, spread the word and hopefully get around because it pays well. You know, people will pay you. you this isn't every time, but you make 300 to 500 a night just doing an apartment show because you just ask like, hey, can you pay me 300? Most people will be like, yeah, sure. And 300, let's say you do 150 shows. That's uh, whatever, 45, that's 45K. Yeah. Uh, that's not bad money. That's more than what most comedians make. So yeah, it's, it's pretty great. So, you know, it's, so it's, it's like, it's like two shows a week, huh? Three, yeah, two to three. It's just, yeah, it's just all like ways to think about. I just don't think there has to be one model when it comes to comedy. Like you don't need to go up through the path that everyone has gone. As long as when you get up on those stages that everyone has gone on and you are funny, 
I think that's the most important thing. If you're not funny, get back and start working. Probably better to not have a lot of eyes on you until you are funny. That's part of the reason I'm like in Columbus as well as, you know, there's a quote from some comedian. I can't remember the name. Quote is the Midwest is a great place to fail anonymously. Going back to what we spoke about earlier about like failing to succeed. I'm so grateful I'll like go up at an open mic in Columbus and eat it with like these terrible jokes, but sometimes they work and it's great because there's no pressure at all. And you can, you can just get better and better and fail in your apartment and fail at these open mics and no one who's important or matters is really going to see you. And that's a great thing. It's like, this is beyond self-aggrandizing right now, but you know, in that book, 10,000 hours by Malcolm Gladwell, you know, he talks about how the Beatles were in Hamburg for like however many years before they went to America. And it's kind of like Hamburg is where they got their reps and where they learned to like play so that when they went to America, when they went to the big stage, they were ready and obviously took America by storm. And so, you know, do not plan to be like the Beatles in any way other than being shot in the back by a, you know, a, a, a random <laughs> admirer. fan. Yeah. yeah. I think that will probably happen. Isn't that the dream of like every comedian to be assassinated? <laughs> Everyone wants to be assassinated. Not enough comedians get assassinated. Anyone listening, please don't assassinate me. Maybe when I'm, I would love to be assassinated when I'm like 95, you know, something like that. Just like hire an assassin. Your comedy album will go through the roof probably. Like, probably. Yeah, right. It's the easiest way. That's what I tell everyone. You want to you want to do well as an artist, kill yourself. You know, it's like- <laughs> <laughs> do you feel like you're getting close to maybe putting an hour down on a uh, on an album or putting it out on YouTube, that kind of thing? Yeah, I had a production company reach out and um they're like a Ohio based group. So I'd love to like rep them and like stay local with all that stuff. The big question is like, what do you want to put out? Because once you put it out, you don't want people to come see you. And then you perform that same material. Like, how could you? But some of the jokes is like, I really like telling these jokes. And most comedians, when they put out an hour, it's because they've toured, they've performed to all their fans that were going to see them. Like when Burt Kreischer puts out an hour, he's already toured it. And so everyone who watches it has either seen that material or wants to see it but he makes all his money from the people who come to his show who want to see it. And so with me, I just, I have the material, but I don't have the fans or like that many stages. You don't really want to burn the material either. You don't want to burn the material just yet, but at the same time, I'm trying to think about ways around that, maybe putting out some different content, maybe like a long, like 30 minute special about living in Ohio or something like that what it's like doing that. I like to be a bit intentional with the stuff I put out officially. And so it's a TBD decision. No, that's smart. We'll see. Hopefully something on TikTok or Instagram can blow up and I can just start touring from there. What, what about any other like uh, entertainment work, like writing for shows, movies, pitching, stuff like that? Like, are you planning on doing any of that? Or have you thought about doing that? Yeah, I mean, it's never, I'm, it's one of those things like, to use the stand-up analogy, I'm kind of like an open micer writing. I don't really know that much about it. Oh, I, I know about it, but I just like haven't practiced it. I'm sure I'd be fine at it, but I also know like in five years, I would be like, you idiot, you this is terrible. One thing I do want to do is, I, one thing I've like been in talks with this production company about is putting that London trip, the Londons of America into a documentary series. Oh, cool. You, you got a lot of footage from that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool, yeah. And then hopefully I'd like go back with like an actual production crew, like a legit crew and kind of film something to like shine a light on small town America. Cause I'm a fan of, I think small town America gets a bad rep for the wrong reasons. And 
Uh, hopefully I'll be able to shine a light on that. But other than that, my main thing is just in my twenties, definitely. And who knows what passed then, but it's just stand up. Like I just want to be a killer on stage and that's it. Like that's the only thing I want. Do you think you're going to leave Columbus at, at some point, either go to like a New York or like an Austin, Texas, or. Uh, I don't really feel the need because Columbus is so centrally located that it's so good to travel. Columbus is also great because it doesn't have that much comedy infrastructure besides like the one headliners club that you can kind of build it yourself. So I can kind of create a bit of a scene for myself by producing shows and bringing in big name comics myself again, like just along that theme of just trying to do it all myself or not trying to do it all myself, but just trying to have as much control of it myself, as opposed to just like leaving my fate to other people. And the only reason I would leave Columbus is if my friends who I live here with left because your work is good, but it's all about your friends and your friends and your family. So if they were to leave, I hang out with them every day. If they were to leave, I would probably head on over to somewhere like Nashville or Chicago. And also it would be better to move just because the Columbus scene, you know, it's got some funny people in it, but overall it's not as good as like a Nashville or a Chicago or a New York or LA. So I would learn again, in terms of talking about like knowing that I do not know certain things, I'm sure I would learn a lot of things in a better scene. Yeah, that's, that's what I was wondering. I was, I was going to ask you if you feel like you have enough comic support system there where, you, where you're able to like learn, like there's, there's people that are ahead of you that you can learn from and there's people you can like help, you know, teach and that kind of thing. Yeah, not really. I mean, I, I learn a lot from Jason and his feature act, Kenny Mock, a lot when I'm on the road with them. Just you watch them, you learn how they crush for the hour or the 20 minutes that they're on stage. I know how to do well in an hour in like an apartment, but I don't know how to do well in an hour for a room of strangers and in a comedy club. And so like just watching them and their cadence and their little quirks and just watching all the stand-up that's available like online, you just realize you have so much more to learn. And Columbus doesn't really have that. Besides Jason, there are no real like great. I mean, there are some very funny comics. There are no big names coming out of Columbus. Uh, whereas Cincinnati, for example, has an amazing scene where you can learn a lot. Nashville has some national headliners. Chicago is a great scene. All of these places are where you you just learn those little things, like asking, like, how do you learn how to write a joke? It's not just like how to write a joke, but how to like be a comedian. I think being in a better scene would definitely help me in that regard. And so to answer your question, having thought about it a bit, I probably might, I might be leaving Columbus at some point. (laughs) (laughs) Having thought it through on this podcast for the first time in my life. (laughs) We've talked to a lot of comedians that do start out like in a small town and they, it's usually really good to start out in in like the small towns because you become the big fish, but eventually like, like Shane said, you're the big fish and there's, there's no one to learn from. There's, there's no more drive. And that's when you come kind of stagnant. Yeah, exactly. It's like, the good thing is like when you, cause Columbus is just so central, you can travel all the time. So you can like learn a lot from other scenes. Plus like Columbus is just a nice place to live. Just like from a standard of living place is cheap. It's, but you know, so I don't necessarily agree that like everyone needs to move to New York, but I'm sure it can be helpful to move. To answer your question, I'll probably move to a bigger scene at some point, but I'll always be wrapping Columbus on my chest. <laughs> like that. Any chance going back to uh, the UK and, and any of that or? Oh, God, no. Absolutely not. <laughs> not. Not a fan. I've never even performed. I've performed once in London. Uh, which London? Oh, right. Good point. Uh, L- London, England. And that was like four years ago. But if I were to perform now, everyone would just be like, why are you speaking in an American accent? 
and I would have to be like, this is a British accent. And they would be like, stop saying British, say English. You've like become so Americanized. And <laughs> it, it's just like a whole thing. They look down on it? Yeah, they look down on it. You're not in, in England. I'm just a, I'm an absolute cunt. Uh, <laughs> I'm just some posh prick who thinks he's funny. In my, you know, in my opinion, the English are like hysterical, just as part of their like national character. Like I'm not funny in England. I figured out how to be funny in America. I hope, uh, or I'm on the way to. You know, if you think about go where you're interesting, definitely makes more sense to stay in America. <laughs> We, we usually ask one last question from our guests. Any words of wisdom for an inspired comedian you wish you would have got when you first started out? Please know that you are shit. No matter, <laughs> no matter what you think, you are absolutely garbage. You are not funny and you should keep on pursuing it. I think that that's what I would tell someone if I could be brutally honest with them. That's the first time we've heard your shit. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you've seen a lot of comedians like kind of be starting out. Um, Is it easy to tell who might have potential than another? Yeah, definitely. There's a, yeah, you can definitely tell like some people just have it. Some people just have that like funny gene in them. They come on stage. Maybe their jokes aren't that fresh, but just got that personality and you know if they stick with it and there's this guy in orlando he's like 19 cam oh yeah i know cam yeah hysterical yeah and he's like been doing it six months or something you know how does he know how to how, you know he just knows how to do that just naturally just how to be funny and there are some people who just get on stage maybe they're not funny but they have the right stage presence or voice or knowledge of comedy I think the most important part to being successful in comedy is to kind of have a strange mix of self-awareness and self-delusion. I, it kind of, I'm sure it applies in like every creative field where there is no metric to say that you're getting better, but you kind of have to tell yourself, oh my God, I'm really good at this. I should keep on going. But if you tell yourself that too much, you kind of still need to be aware. That's why like people like when comics are like, I know I look like this person or they acknowledge any kind of elephant in the room surrounding the uncertainty of the performance because it shows that self-awareness and i think you kind of have to be deluded to go on stage the next time but you also have to be self-aware to write the jokes and know know who you're writing for and i see a lot of open mic comedians especially in columbus not all of them a lot of them are very funny but some are absolutely deluded and aren't self-aware in any sense of the word they're not aware either that they could write a bad joke or that they're just not aware in general. And I'm also guilty of that in certain regards. Have you noticed when you, when you see somebody who is, who is out of touch, it's obvious that they're delusional. Does that help you notice that in yourself as well? Definitely. I think anytime you notice, yeah, I think you notice that you're like, Oh God, do I do that? Or you kind of see a comedian who looks like you or has the same (laughs) like voice on stage or like same kind of jokes. And you're like, oh my God, you're just like, that's what I, that's what I look like on stage. Or like, that's how I sound. You're like, I need to fix this immediately. And yeah, it's, it's very helpful to have a mirror held up to you because it's all just a journey. And uh, along the way, you, you meet some fine folks and uh, fingers crossed some fine ladies, but you know, <laughs> who knows when that's happening. Absolutely. Simon, it's been an absolute blast being on the podcast tonight. Oh, guys. I mean, it was a thrill. It was yeah, a thanks thrill. a lot, man. Thanks for coming.
Thank you, Seamus. Thank you, Josh. Uh, or thank you, Josh. Thank you, Seamus, depending on the hierarchy of the podcast. But it was, yeah, uh, you got it you, you right the first time. <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. And yeah, you, this, has been a, this has been really helpful for me because I've really clarified a few thoughts. <laughs> That's what we're here for. <laughs> About living in Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, I love the fact that you're, you're repping it and like you really do like it and all that. Because there's a lot of people that don't like Columbus, Ohio. I mean... <laughs> They can burn at the stake. Where can our listeners find more of you and your work at? Please follow me on Instagram at Simon Loves High Noons. You liked what you heard and you're curious about an apartment show. I will do an apartment show for you. I will bring the chairs. I will bring the mic and the equipment. Uh, all you need to do is invite the people. And if you're fancy paying me 300 to $500, much appreciated. And if you fancy paying me a bit more, I'll buy High Noons the popular hard seltzer drink of the summer. I'll buy high noons for the entire audience and we'll have a blast. If not, follow me. Just follow me on Instagram. And if not, I'm starting a sub stack. Uh, so look out for that. But you can <laughs> look out for that on my Instagram at Simon Loves High Noon. We really appreciate it, Simon. You're awesome. Yeah, man, it was fun. Oh, this is super fun. Any upcoming dates? This will come out in like about four to six weeks. Oh, whoa. Okay. I am on the road with Jason Banks. We are hitting a bunch of comedy clubs across the country. So please check out my website for all upcoming dates, simonfrasercomedy.com. And uh, book me for an apartment show and follow me on Instagram. But yeah, anyway, guys, thank you so much for having me. This was a this was a delight. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Thanks a lot. See you guys. Have a good night, bud. That was that was good. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, the the whole basement apartment show thing, like that, yeah, dude, that's, that's that's so some, crazy. Like that's that's some uh, that sounds like some fraternity shit, to be honest with you. You know, like dude, it, dude it sounds punk rock, man. Like just like it reminds me of, like house shows and, yeah, and shit like that's, that. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, <laughs> like, literally it's a house <laughs> show. But the co- the concept, especially like bands where they couldn't get like there's there's no clubs. Like if there's no clubs to play at, like you play at someone's house. That's that's how that's how it was like when when I was in college too. There, there's always like some weird, interesting band or like a weird DJ playing at a party. You know what I mean? Do you ever have comedians at any parties? Because I've no. never seen like a comedian at a house show. No, I, I don't remember there being like any comedy comedy scene in in Tallahassee. I, I there there might have been, but I I wasn't near it. There was there's big music scene and there's 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 a lot there's like a big like jamming scene. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like there's a bunch of people just just like jam together and then there's like different bands like that. But I I didn't I didn't remember like a real comedy thing. When you listen to Bert Kreischer talk about like how he used to do stand up in Tallahassee, it's like I like I, I know all the places he talks about, but you know I I, ne- I never knew about any comedy there when I was there. You might have just been oblivious to it. Like just that's true. I, I, I wasn't really that into it back then. I was yeah. I was into I was into science <laughs> and alcohol. <laughs> Marching band, yeah, I was I was real into alcohol. It's <laughs> real into that, uh, but uh, no, no, like just the uh, it's it's interesting because like like he said like during COVID like there's no clubs so but like at the same time like packing a house full of like yeah yeah that's yeah, uh, that's uh, <laughs> uh, very Florida of him, <laughs> but like the idea of like just bypassing like doing a club, like you hear the traditional thing of like comics that do open mics you open mics enough to get to like open and then you get to like headline like just like that natural progression of, of a comedy just going on the road himself and, and just going places yeah it's pretty cool yeah very very unique good way to get a lot of time to like set it up yourself yeah that's like that's like around here like the local comics will put on a lot of different shows even his, his backstory of like like a yale graduate like just doing yale graduate 
It's a, definitely a weird turn for a dude. A lot of people that go to SNL and like improv kids and stuff like that, they come from like the Ivy League. That's that's kind of a thing. That's where that whole comedy elitism thing comes from. He's a very, very cool guy. I really do talk to him tonight. Yeah, man. Thank you all for listening. If you would like to support the WWSD podcast, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash WWSD underscore podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We try to keep discussion based, so feel free. Uh, we got no heartache if you want to ask us weird shit or something. Oh, I, I got uh, all the questions in the world, guys. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we, we, we've heard quite, quite some weird ones, so <laughs> I'm sure nothing you can say will shock us unless we talk about the, the Ukraine or Palestine or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the Ukraine's on limits. I, I've, I feel I'm on the right side of history when it comes to you. <laughs> Uh, just don't ask me about the Jews. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we had one comedian went on like a Q and on rant for like twenty something minutes. It was uh, pretty good. So wow. we, we've kind of heard it all. But I didn't know Jake Rico was like that. But that's <laughs> it was, uh, it was Zach Bennett actually. Okay. <laughs>